Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be able to have copies of your word in our hands, even now in our own tongues, so that we can rightly comprehend the truth that you have spoken many years ago to your people, which still speaks to us today. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this privilege, but, Lord, we pray that you would grant us understanding by your spirit. Oh, Lord, do indeed give us a spirit of knowledge and wisdom as we come to your truth even now. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've begun again our series in the book of Hebrews. And so last week we started in Hebrews chapter 12 and we looked at how the original readers were encouraged to throw off everything that entangles them, including sin, and run the race that is put before them. And these readers we heard again last week are people who were Jewish converts. So they were Jews who had... We, we believe this is the best understanding of who the readers are. They were Jewish converts who had become Christians, but whilst following Christianity, they had started to experience persecution for their faith and were thinking of shrinking back, of no longer trusting in Jesus Christ. And so the book of Hebrews is really a book that exalts Christ above everything else. It reminds the Jewish readers that Christ is far superior to everything that Judaism as a religion in itself has to offer. That Jesus is the best of prophets. Jesus is the best priest. Jesus is the best sacrifice. And so there is no reason to shrink back. But the trouble is these readers have been experiencing pain for the faith. And they've been having a tough time. And the author acknowledges this. He's acknowledged it previously when we looked at chapter 10, verse 32. Turn with me just a page back in your Black Church Bibles to page 1191. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 32, where the author says to the readers, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathised with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. The readers had experienced pain for being Christians. Some people were even being put in prison and having their property confiscated. Others were just being publicly exposed to insult. It was not easy being a Christian in the context that they were living in. But they had not gone to the point of shedding blood, and that is what the author is reminding them of in verse 4 of chapter 12, the passage that we're looking at today. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 through to verse 11. I believe there's a typo in the bulletin for your notes there. It says Romans. It's actually Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4 through to verse 11 is what we're looking at. And in verse 4, the author reminds the readers that they have not gone to the point of shedding blood. Verse 4, it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. They haven't actually gone to the point of violence with people. They haven't been put to death either in their following after Jesus Christ. And so in one sense, we're in a similar situation here in Australia. 
We do know what it is to experience pain for being Christians, not to the extent that people do around the world, but there is a loss of credibility. As soon as people may know in your workplace that you are a Christian, people may insult you. It may be that you lose certain privileges, you lose certain property or at least certain finances that would come to you if you weren't a Christian. And the author is encouraging you today, as he was encouraging the people long ago, not to shrink back as you suffer. As you go through pain in this world, you are not to shrink back. You are meant to continue to trust in Jesus Christ. But why would you consider shrinking back from Jesus Christ? Why would you consider leaving the Christian faith as a result of pain and suffering? Well, it's primarily because we don't like pain and suffering. It isn't pleasant to experience people insulting you, people hurting you, bodily pain, bodily suffering. And it's partly because we forget something. Why do we think of shrinking back as Christians? It's because we forget something. And that's what the author reminds us of in verse 5. Look with me now at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 where he says, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. When we experience pain and suffering in our life, different trials come along, life isn't easy, we forget if we think of shrinking back, we forget this encouragement from the, the word in Proverbs chapter 3, which is picked up here in Hebrews chapter 12, that God does bring pain into the lives of his people. God disciplines his people, he rebukes his people, he punishes his people, as it says there in the text. In verse 5 it says, My son, do not make, this is the quote from Proverbs, My son, do not make Lord of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes. You could even translate that as scourges or whips everyone he accepts as a son. And so we do experience pain in this world and it comes at God's hand. As we experience pain in our bodies, different illnesses or different attacks that people bring upon us, thankfully we don't experience them too, men, too often here in, this, uh, in Australia, but other people around the world, other brothers and sisters do. But we experience mental exhaustion, depressions, because God brings those into our lives. Now the question then is, why would God do this? Why would God discipline his people in this way? And the answer is given in the text. It's because he is our heavenly father. It says in verse 5, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as Sons, For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. God brings pain into our life 
because he is our father. And human fathers teach us this principle. We know that human fathers bring pain into the lives of their children. And the author picks up on the fact that earthly fathers does this to help us to understand that God, our heavenly father, brings pain into our life as well. Verse 9 says, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers, that's our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. I'm a father of two children, and I must admit, I bring pain into their lives. They can testify to you afterwards that it's not always pleasant living with daddy, that dad does indeed bring pain and trouble into their lives. But the question is, why would I do that? And why would our Heavenly Father bring pain into our lives? Isn't a father meant to give you a free ride? Isn't he meant to do exactly what you like all the time for you? Why does God discipline us? Why does he bring pain? Well, the text tells us. In verse 10... We read, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, my children may be able to tell you that I bring pain into their lives. And they may, if you ask them, why does your dad do that? They may not be able to tell you why. They may think all kinds of reasons as to why dad brings pain into their lives. They can't connect the dots. But the reason I bring pain into their lives is for their good, so that they can be righteous and holy and at peace. And God does the same for us. Now, we as children often can't see the point of the pain and suffering that is in our lives. We can't see how it is for our good. But that is because we are functioning like a child. Just like my children can't see how I'm working for their good, we can't see how our Heavenly Father is working for our good by bringing pain and suffering and discipline into our lives. But we have to remember then that God knows better than you do about what's good for you. And we have to let that sink in. God knows better. See, our attitude is very much like a small child. We know what's best for us at all times. We know that if it feels good, it must be right. And if I think it's true, it must be true. It must be right. It must be the best thing for me if I think so. But that's where parents are there to remind us that we don't always know best. And what we feel is right is not necessarily the right thing. And so we have to trust that our Heavenly Father always knows best for us, even when we experience pain and suffering, even when we experience trials and tribulations and training and discipline. It is because our Father in heaven knows best, far better than an earthly father does. It's interesting what it says in verse 10 there. 
verse 10 of chapter 12, it says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. I must admit, sometimes I've disciplined my children. I brought pain into their lives and I thought it was the best thing to do. But on later reflection, I go, yeah, probably wasn't the best thing to do. And that's where it's really helpful to have a wife around who says, yeah, just hang on, Joel. Remember, I'm like, oh, yes, that's a good point. Even that happened yesterday. I'd made a rule that this was going to happen. Then it sort of changed later on. I said, hang on, what did you say to them earlier? I went, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. And I was on a track uh, of dis- I was on a, a way of discipline that wasn't the best way, and I was corrected on it. But God always knows what's the best thing. He never makes a mistake in his discipline of you. And so we have to acknowledge this, that if he is our father, he knows best. And he's actually working for our good. Now, what is the good that God brings through discipline, through pain in our lives? Well, there's two things that are given in the text for us. Verse 10 says, Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. What is one of the benefits that we have from pain? What is the benefit from discipline and training? It's that we would share in the Father's holiness. And it's interesting, as you look at earthly fathers and earthly children, that they often do start to take on the characteristics of their parents. I can see many things that I do today are really reflective of what my father does. The interests I have today are often the interests that he had. I think that's part of the reason I'm just not interested in sport at all is because my father has no interest in sport whatsoever and it's just followed on. And so if you look at a son, he often looks very much like his father. Why is that? Because of the discipline that that child has been through. The contact, the training that he has had from the father has rubbed off and he shares now in the attributes of his father. And that is what happens for us as children of the heavenly father. Our father is a holy God. And if he disciplines us, he punishes us, he trains us, it's so that we share in his holiness. When we talk about God's holiness, we often think of the fact that he knows what is right and wrong and he always does what is right. That's what makes him stand out from us in holiness is because he is the God who does right. And it's the same for us. As we experience God's pain in our lives, we start to do what is right rather than what is wrong. And that is picked up in verse 11 as well. It says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness. What is God? He is righteous. And we produce a harvest of righteousness in us when we are trained by God's discipline, by God's pain, by his training in our lives. And it's not, it's not hard to see how this is the case. When you do something wrong and you're a child and your father disciplines you, in the future you think twice, or hopefully you do, think twice about doing that action again. That behaviour is trained out of you by pain. And God, in his love towards us as a father, 
When we do wrong things, he often brings pain into our lives to correct us so that we start to do right, so that we start to behave as he behaves. And as he brings training into our lives, as he puts you through a time of trial, you study his word more and you gain knowledge of him, which he already has, but you start to take that on and you become more holy in your life because you become more like God in his knowledge and his wisdom. And so the struggle that you have as it causes you to depend upon God, makes you more like him. And also, God's discipline doesn't just bring righteousness into your life, holiness. It also brings peace. Verse 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The undisciplined child runs around like a goose, and is not at peace in his life. The child that throws a tantrum every other minute, the child that whinges and complains and is unsettled all the time because he's never been disciplined, is he a peaceful child? No, he's not. And sadly, for the people around that child, they're not at peace either. They're always having to compensate for this little terror that is flying off the handle because he is undisciplined. He's never experienced pain. He's never experienced suffering. His parents should just let him do whatever he likes. And he's ultimately not at peace. But the child who has been through pain, who has sat in their room for many minutes, many hours, if you accumulate them over a lifespan, possibly even days for some children that they've sat in a room, thinking about what they've done, it actually brings peace to that child's life. When we experience pain and suffering, it often stops us from agitating as we would. Some people, it seems like they're grounded by God, so they can't cause as much trouble as they were before. God puts you in hospital, you're not going to be out doing busybodying as you may like to. And of course, in the future, you'll be more at peace because you've known the hand of God, even his, the pain that he has brought into your life, and you've learned to trust on him, depend upon him, so that when small trials come along, you're very much at peace. You don't really worry about the small things in life because you've been through big struggles and have learned to quiet your soul under God's hand. So why does God bring pain into your life? It's because he's our father and he loves us and he's working for our good and our peace in this life but also in the life to come. So how are you to respond to God's discipline? Well, the text actually tells you in verse 7 it says, Endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as sons, for what son is not disciplined by his father? What are we supposed to do when suffering and pain comes into our life? We're meant to endure it, not shrink back and deny the faith. We're meant to endure it, and we're meant to submit to that pain. It says in verse 9, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? When pain comes into our life, we 
often respond in two different ways that are given to us in the text. Rather than submitting and enduring the pain and remembering the things that we know about discipline, that it's because it's our Father in heaven and he loves us and is working for our good, instead of submitting, we disdain God's hand, God's discipline. And that's given to us in verse 5 with a quote from Proverbs. Verse 5, it says, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not make light of the Lord's discipline. What does it mean to make light of something? Well, it's to think it's a small matter. And how do children make light of their father's discipline? Well, by laughing it off. No, it's awful to try and discipline a child who sits there and smiles at you the whole time that you're telling them off. It just makes you angrier and angrier. And the pain starts to go up a few notches because of the laughter or the smiling that is happening to you. And some people treat God's discipline that way. They smile at it. They laugh about it as though it's no big deal. Or they resent, they despise God's hand. And that's what we see with earthly children as well. They grumble about their parents and how horrible it is to have my father. They accuse the father of hatred. You don't love me, you hate me. They're making light of the discipline, of the loving hand that is painful, but it is a loving hand that has been brought upon the child. And we've got to be careful we don't treat God the same way, that we laugh off what he does, or we grumble against him. How can God do this to me? I sometimes wonder whether God even loves me by what's going on in my life. That's making light of the Lord's discipline. What's another way that we could respond to God's discipline in a bad way? Well, it's to shrink back, as I've been saying, to be dismayed at God's discipline. And that's given in verse 5 as well. It says, And my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Do not lose heart. Grow weary is another translation of that. And children often do this. When they're disciplined by their fathers, they grow weary and lose heart and One way that you can see this is when a child runs away from their parents, when they bow out of the discipline altogether and say, I'm no longer living in this household, I'm going to go live somewhere else. What's happened? They've grown weary and they've lost heart. And this is what people do with the Heavenly Father as well. They lose heart and they no longer want to follow God the Father. They no no longer want to believe in Jesus Christ. And this is something that is a very strong temptation for believers particularly if people mock you for believing in Jesus Christ as you suffer. It's awful if you're in great pain, maybe bodily illness that has come upon you, and then non-Christians say, where is your God that you follow? How can you call yourself a Christian when obviously God doesn't bless you? I can see it right before my eyes. Psalmist picks up on this theme that is so common in history. In Psalm 42, verse 10, he says, My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? And so what is the temptation to do in that experience? As you're in pain, as you're suffering, and then people are insulting you and saying, Where is your God? 
What is the temptation to do? Well, it's what's described in verse 5, that you'll lose heart and grow weary and shrink back from following after God. So what are you supposed to do instead? Well, I said it before. Don't disdain God's discipline. Don't be dismayed at God's discipline. Instead, submit to the pain because the pain actually tells you that God is there. God is right there. God is not absent when you suffer. God is present when you suffer. You suffer because God is present. Where is God? Where is my God when people insult me as I suffer? It's, the answer is right here in my pain. God is present as my loving Heavenly Father, making me stronger in the faith. And that's why I am suffering. That's why I am in pain. And so that means I can endure the discipline that God brings to me, even to death. Remember, that's what verse 4 was speaking about in Hebrews chapter 12. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Some people seem to have this attitude, as soon as it comes to losing your blood or dying, they shrink back. That's too far. But we have to remember that God can even take us to death itself and still remain with us. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Even through death itself, God is still there. It's not as though God is absent and that is why you die. No, God is there and you die because he wills it and he is there with you, taking you to the heavenly home. So this text means that if you are a child of God and rarely have pain in your life, you should take warning that maybe that claim that you make that you are a child of God, that you are a believer, is not actually true. Because pretty much as soon as you become a Christian, all kinds of trials and challenges and training starts from the Lord. And the text actually says that. Verse 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. If you claim to be a Christian and never find life difficult, you never find it a struggle to worship God, to read your Bible, to pray, to fight against sin, if you never find that people don't look down on you because you are a Christian, then what is, that, what is the text saying to you? You're an illegitimate child. If life is cruisy for you all the time as a Christian, you're an illegitimate child. And that's a scary truth to consider because that means that one day you'll be cast from God's presence altogether and experience a punishment that far outweighs any punishment that any Christian can experience from their loving Heavenly Father. A punishment that goes on and on for eternity. We've got to remember that as Christians. We never experience the punishment that we actually deserve for our sins. It has all been taken by Jesus Christ. The discipline, the pain, the suffering, the training that we experience in this world is nothing in comparison to what illegitimate children will one day experience. And so if you claim to be a Christian and life has been going well for you, the text says you're an illegitimate child 
And you should be scared. And you should go back to the cross. Go back to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and start trusting in him. Yes, some pain will come on your way. But a lot of pain will be removed for eternity. And you're actually going to start being stronger and more at peace than you've ever been before. And instead of disdaining or dismaying God's discipline and you submit to the pain, it doesn't just tell you that God is present as your father, but it also does indeed tell you that you're going to be stronger. And that helps you to endure and submit to God's loving disciplinary hand, which if you've always thought yourself as pretty good, you're never going to understand this point. You're kind of like the superstar athlete that never shows up to training. In verses 1, 2 and 3, we're looking at how we're meant to be athletes that are running a race. And some athletes are very gifted and they may work very hard, but they get to a particular point and then they think that they can just cruise on to every game and they don't have to follow the rules like everybody else and they don't have to go through any hardship anymore. And that's how some of us have an attitude towards God's hand of discipline, that we don't actually need his discipline because I'm not that sinful. Maybe I'm a bit rough around the edges, but I don't need some pain and suffering in my life because I'm pretty good. What do we know about superstar athletes that never show up to training, that never work anymore, that rely simply on their gifts and their skills? Soon they're kicked off the team. They bow out. They can't compete any longer because they're not welcoming correction. They're not welcoming training. They're not welcoming disciplining. And that's what we have to be like as Christians as well. We have to welcome discipline and correction into our lives, even though it hurts, because we recognise that we're not as strong as we could be. And we want to get stronger. We want to be holier. We want to be more righteous. So bring the pain, Lord, if it will make me holier. Because I want that. I want to be more like you. Correct me. Rebuke me. Chastise me. Scourge me. If it will make me stronger and more like yourself. So do you disdain the Lord's discipline? Do you despair in pain and suffering that God brings into your life? Or do you submit to it, enduring it, knowing that it's because you have a heavenly father that you experience pain and it's because he wants to make you stronger that you experience suffering? Because it is true that as you go through pain and suffering, it does draw you closer to your father in heaven and it does make you stronger. I encourage you, stay around for morning tea afterwards and ask someone who's been a Christian for a few decades, has pain come into your life as a Christian? I don't think there's any Christian who's been a Christian for a few decades would answer, no, life's been very good since I became a Christian. Because if they do, then you should remind them of what the text says about illegitimate children. But if they say, yes, it has been painful to be a Christian, ask them, has it actually caused you to love God more going through suffering and pain? Has it drawn you closer to your Heavenly Father? And have you actually seen yourself grow as a Christian? Are you a stronger, more righteous, more peaceful person as a result of going through suffering? Or are you weaker and more unholy through going through suffering? 
and listen to what they've got to say. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's come before him and speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we must confess that in the past we have not responded well to your painful discipline, that we have often made light of it and we've grown weary in it. But Lord, we praise you as a father who lovingly disciplines his children. And we thank you for the harvest of righteousness and peace that we have received through suffering. But Lord, we pray that we would take assurance of our sonship, of our childhood status with you because of your discipline. When we face pain and suffering in the future, may we know that this is because we are legitimate children, not illegitimate. And may that give us joy. And Lord, we pray that we would look forward to growth in righteousness and peace through pain. And Lord, we ask that if there is anyone here who is an illegitimate child, who affirms that they are Christian, but rarely experiences pain because of being a Christian, oh Lord, awaken them and help them to trust in you, despite the pain that will come to their life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.